Are there people who are hopeless? Are there people so cruel, so mean, there isn't anything that can be done for them? Are there some people we shouldn't even pray for? Can we sin so much God gives up on us? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran from Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. We find the answers to those kinds of questions and more in one of the oldest books of prophecy in our Bible, in our lesson today, Jonah, about so much more than a fish. Now here are some of the lessons that we're going to learn about in this book. We all know about the fish swallowing Jonah, but there are larger questions in the book, including answers to these questions. What about people who haven't heard the gospel if Jesus is the only way to God? What do we do about bad people or when people treat us badly? What does God expect from us as his people? How does God treat us when we fail? For answers to these questions and other related applications, let's look at Jonah. What about people who've never heard about God? Though the Old Testament focuses on the children of Israel, there are also pictures here and there about how God was active in the lives of others who were not the chosen people. We saw that in Job, and please go back and either listen to or watch the videos on that lesson, as he was not a Jew, and yet he was the one out of all humanity at the time that God chose to point out to Satan that he was a godly man. And we see another story here in the book of Jonah about a very unlikely group of people God sent him to, the people of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria at that time. Now here's the setting of the book of Jonah. This was a very prosperous time in Israel, and listen carefully to how the Bible describes an overview of it. It says in 2 Kings 4.23, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned for forty-one years. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea, now listen carefully, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Heber. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering, and there was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. Now, did you catch that? Many people miss it. Jonah was a very successful prophet of military victory in Israel under Jeroboam II. Now, you see, most people just think Jonah somehow just appears on the scene and God calls him to preach to Nineveh, but that wasn't the case at all. This military victory, though, as important as it was, didn't destroy the truly threatening military power of that time. And that power was Assyria. They were an incredibly rich, opulent nation to the north of Israel. Now, not only were they very rich and self-indulgent, but they were bent on conquest, and they carried it out with incredible power and cruelty. We have many images that they recorded of their battles, and these are not pleasant images. They are pictures of people that are chopped up, of torture, of impaling people on stakes, stacks of heads of victims. Now, from the position 
of a popular prophet of deliverance, with jo- which Jonah was, he was now called to preach God's salvation to this hated enemy. He was called to preach to people who were known for impaling their enemies alive, just sticking them, lifting them up and sticking them on a stake. And instead of rejoicing that God could show mercy even to the Assyrians, what did he do? Well, we know. He ran in the other direction. He wanted to decide how he was going to serve God. He did not want to follow God to do a difficult job. Maybe he thought he'd be seen as a traitor. Most definitely, he didn't want to preach salvation and mercy to Israel's threatening enemies. Choosing to go his own way, however, did not go well. A huge storm hits the boat that he's in, and his shipmates know it's from God. After questioning everybody, is this your fault, is this your fault, Jonas admits his sin. The crew throws him overboard, and the sea calms. Jonas swallowed by a great fish. But it's not the end of him. Sometimes drastic measures are needed to calm us down, to get us to listen to God. Apparently, that's what Jonah needed. Jonah repents from inside the fish. Here's his prayer. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. I don't know what's worse, being swallowed or vomited up, but anyway, that's what happens next. Now, a lesson here. Sin can rob us of the love, kindness, and blessings of God. Again, remember what that verse said in Jonah 2.8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. This word grace is the word, the Hebrew word chesed, which often is translated kindness or mercy. Now, there's some other Old Testament stories where the same word is used. One of them is when Abraham's servant is sent to find Isaac, a wife. It said that the Lord gave him chesed, gave him kindness in the job that he was called to do. It's the same word that, that is used on how God blessed Jacob when he left his family poor and alone and then he returned as not his family poor and alone he was poor and alone and he returned a rich man with a large family of his own and it's also the word that's used to describe how God treated Joseph when he was in prison a related passage that's really important also is Deuteronomy 7.12, where Cheshed is part of God's covenant to his people, where Moses tells God's people, If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you, his Cheshed, as he swore to your ancestors. God wants the best for us, and obeying him is the best for us. Not only would the people of Nineveh be better off if Jonah preached to them and they were saved, but so would Jonah. When we disobey God, it's often because we think something else is better, but it never is. Here are some application suggestions. When you find yourself in a challenging time, God asks you to do something, you feel you should do something, whatever, how do you respond? 
The Bible tells us in everything to give thanks. He promises us that all works out for good, though it may not seem good to us at the time. Remember, that's God's promise. Our response should be to obey as best we can, to quietly trust and do what it seems God wants us to do, even if at the time we want nothing more than to get out of it, to run the other way. The alternative, we might choose to cling to the worthless idols of bitterness, of questioning, of comparing ourselves with others. And this, though, can lead to a spiral of self-pity and sadness and perhaps ultimate destruction of us, our lives, people around us. And God's work doesn't get done. As with Joshua, when the people sinned and he was crying out to God, if we find ourselves in a mess, in a place where everything seems like it's gone wrong, we need to do like Joshua did. We need to get up off our face and move forward. You don't have to be thrilled about obedience to do it. You need to just do it. Do what God wants, and the joy and satisfaction will come. They may not come for a very long time. Ultimately, they may not come until heaven. But that is what we need to do. If we obey and do what God, we know God wants us to do, circumstances may or may not change, but joy and peace can flood our lives in the midst of challenges. Hopefully none of us will have to be swallowed by a fish to learn that love, mercy, grace, and an obedient walk with God are what we were made for. This this is a good quote that reminds us of how we ought to act in these situations. It's from a website called Particularly Called, and it says, Maybe if we spent less time fighting God's plan, we'd have more energy for the battles that really matter. For those who doubt the story of Jonah, that it really happened, we've talked about all these things and all this application, and some people might say, yeah, well, that's great, but it's just based on a fairy tale. As I promised in an earlier lesson, here is the ultimate, I think, evidence, proof, whatever you want to call it, that the story of Jonah really happened. And that is that it comes from Jesus himself when he told the crowds, and I quote, He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Not only did Jesus verify the story as a true one, but he used it to illustrate his death and resurrection. Now, back to Jonah. He obeys, he preaches, and the people repent. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. It tells us in Jonah 3.10. Now, how did Jonah respond? Did he praise God for the miracle of changed hearts in this great and evil city? Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> in Jonah 4, it goes on to say, but Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. 
Isn't that dreadful? He was angry because God was merciful. He goes outside the city to pout. A plant sprouts up to shade him, then the plant dies, and he's even more upset. Here's what God says to Jonah. You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than a 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. I love that little thing in there, also the animals, how God loves them. It's really amazing to me, and it's we all are guilty of this. We desire mercy from God, but often we're unhappy. We're mad at God when he grants it to others. This does not please our Lord. It didn't then, and it doesn't now. Now, there are three big lessons we can learn from Jonah. There's lots of others, but three I want to focus on. Number one, God loves and is more merciful than we can imagine anyone can repent and God gives them second chances. Never give up on anyone. Never stop praying for anyone. I imagine that there are people in heaven who are very surprised to see the thief on the cross in heaven. I'm sure people who knew him in his life probably thought, oh, that guy is so far from God. And who knew that his last words would be to speak to the Savior of the world? When people ask, what about those who haven't heard? You can reply to them, how do you know? I imagine few in Israel had any idea what Jonah did, and many were surprised when it's really interesting when you look at the historical setting of it around 30 years later. Assyria conquered Israel, and imagine the surprise of some of the captives to find in Assyria when they were taken captive fellow believers. But I'm sure they were still there. What a surprise, and what a surprise I think we will all get in heaven when we see people who we thought, oh, (laughs) they're never going to make it. Lesson number two, when God judges, it is his job. When he gives mercy, it's his choice. In Proverbs twenty-four seventeen, it says, Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. You are never, ever, ever to gloat when an enemy stumbles or falls or something bad happens to them. God is dealing with them. Also, too, in Proverbs twenty-five twenty-one, it tells us how we should act. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Our attitude determines our joy and blessings, whether we experience them or not, when God works in another's life. Don't let someone else's tragedy become a tragedy in your life because you had a bad attitude. This lesson, is, of course, is also repeated in the New Testament in Romans 12, where it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, 
says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we attempt to take revenge, we're saying we know better than God, we're putting ourselves in His place, and we're not that. We are to show mercy in the same way our God shows mercy. God takes care of both judgment and mercy in His timing and in His ways, and we just need to stay out of it. Lesson number three, new believers need follow-up for their salvation to make a lasting difference. God's way of life is not automatic after salvation. This really strikes me as I've read Jonah, as I've, I've been older and really looked at, the, looked at and studied the book. What if Jonah had stayed to teach, to follow up, to help the people learn about God. They repented, judgment was delayed, but they obviously didn't grow. Some most likely continued with the Lord. Some, as I said, were probably believers to welcome the exile from Israel around 30 years later. But most obviously returned to their wicked ways, as the book of Nahum tells us, because around a hundred years later, they were conquered and completely destroyed. But we don't know what could have happened. We don't know how God might have used them because Jonah bailed out. Then or now, when people turn to God, they need follow-up. It isn't enough to condemn people or to get them to make an emotional response to become a believer in Jesus. They need to learn the basics of the Christian life after they make a decision to accept Jesus as Savior. They need to read God's Word. They need to learn to apply it. We must get serious about fully fulfilling the Great Commission, not just stopping at the part that says to go share the gospel. But remember, Jesus said, you're to teach them everything I've commanded you. You want to grow yourself, and you want to encourage other believers to grow. If you're watching this on the video, I have a little illustration from the Navigators, and you don't have to be seeing it. Let me tell you what it says. It, it's like a hand, and you can picture each finger of the hand, and it's five different things that you need to learn as a young Christian. The first one is assurance of your salvation, then how God answers prayer, then uh, the little label is called victory, but it's really on how to overcome temptation in your life, then forgiveness of sins, how you need to confess your sins and accept God's forgiveness, because even after you are saved, you will sin, and then guidance, how God promises to guide you in your Christian walk. These are just some of the basics, but so many people today are not taught them, and so they don't really go on and learn to live in the way that God wants them to. Some final challenges. We all have a Nineveh. We all have in our lives those, res those we resent, we fear, we flat out hate, or that we're angry with, and we're all Jonah. We want to run away. We don't want to do the tasks that God's called us to do. But Jesus didn't quit in his work, and we shouldn't either. He kept preaching, 
challenging, healing, and loving those he'd called for three years, no matter how many times they doubted him and failed his expectations for them. And finally, he died for the sins of his creation, sins we committed. He finished the job God called him to do, and our salvation is the extraordinary result of it. Now, the risen Jesus can help us finish our work. Not only can he help us, but we desperately need him to help us. We need Jesus to be kind to mean people, to trust God in difficult situations, to obedient in all to be obedient in all situations, and to do the work he calls us to do. Hopefully it won't take getting swallowed by a big fish to get us to finish our work and to obey him. As we take one step After another, in our walk of obedience, we can remember and rely on the promise in Philippians 1.6 where it says that the God who started this great work in you will keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson and other materials and resources on www.bible805.com. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pren, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.